Welcome to It's Bloody Complicated, the Compass podcast that brings you conversations from across the progressive movement. During the show, we speak with writers, thinkers, politicians, journalists and campaigners about how we come out of these unprecedented times in much better shape than we went in. I'm Francis Foley, your host today and Deputy Director of Compass. Compass is a place where people come together to create the visions, alliances and actions to be the change we wish to see in the world. We're interested in the how of political change as much as the what, and we think conversations like these are a great place to start. Compass members can join the call live and can put their own questions directly to our guests. If you'd like to be part of it, go to action.compassonline.org.uk slash podcast to join Compass today. Otherwise, sit back, grab your drink of choice and get ready to get complicated. So without further ado, um, I want to reduce, or introduce our, our, our four panellists here tonight. Um, and they're here to discuss the trial of the four-day week that is currently happening. So as I said, very, very topical. Um, and this is something that's just kicked off. Many of you will have seen it already in the news. I think it's received a lot of really interesting coverage and it's starting a conversation about four-day week that we're going to continue on the podcast tonight. So with me are Will Strong from Autonomy, who's helping to run the pilot. Um, participants in the trial, um, Sam Smith from The Pressure Drop Brewing and Paul David Perry from Literal Humans. And we also have Kate Bell from CUC to give their view on the four day week and ask some pertinent questions around the implications of this um, for workers in the workforce. So to give a little bit of context, I'm gonna introduce Will shortly, but just to give you some initial top line numbers and hoping that Will will correct me if I got any of this wrong. The trial is the biggest of its kind, um, involves 3,300 workers, and they're working 80%, so four days, but for 100% of their pay, crucially. So this is a promise of a no drop in productivity over this six-month trial, um, and the scheme is also being run alongside similar trials in uh, Canada and the States, in Ireland, Australia, and New Zealand. So as you can see, this is a huge global initiative and something which will give us unprecedented levels of data into the idea of a four-day week and the implications of that for workers, for work-life balance, for productivity, and for many, many more things. So I'm really excited to have all of you here on the podcast tonight. Um, will, do you want to do a better job than I will do on the lowdown of the trial, the biggest in the world so far, and maybe say not just what's happening right now, but how did all of this come about? How did it get started? Thanks, Francis, and thanks, Compass, for having me, and good to be here with uh apparently a record-breaking panel, so that's that's good to know. So yeah, my name is Will Strong. I'm the Director of Research at Autonomy. We're a small UK-based uh, think tank based in London, but also uh, kind of spread across the UK and also internationally in Ireland and in Brazil, in fact. We've been focusing on the future of work for the last five years. Uh, the, short, the shorter working week, the four-day week has been one of our flagship policies, something that we've been doing all sorts of different research pieces into, whether it's you know the, the environmental impacts of a shorter working week, the gender impacts of a shorter working week, how new technologies can help bring about a shorter working week and so on. And we've been running trials in firms for the last three years. So we've been helping run pilots for organizations who've come to us and said, we want to run four-day week pilots in our company on the shop floor level. So we've had this kind of, this nice mix of kind of macroeconomic research with bottom-up kind of um, mainly worker-led. They can, we come in and talk to staff and talk about how they can make this work and what they think the obstacles will be and so on. So we started gaining this knowledge of the last three years. And then in that same period, there's been a huge international interest in, in this idea. It's partly on, the, on this wave of the future of work being an interest of, of both, you know, whether it's intellectuals, academics, or, or uh, trade unions thinking about what's the future of our workplace and our members, or politicians, you know, trying to you know, pick up exciting ideas to try and champion. And 
you know, this this trial, as, as Francis said, is is and she got the, the, the facts uh, right. Basically, this is the largest trial of its kind. Um, we've seen other trials recently. You know, we're very happy to publish the results of a trial in Iceland in the public sector. Two thousand workers um, across a number of workplaces in Reykjavik city and surrounding areas. Hugely positive results um, has translated via trade union negotiations to 86 percent of the country's workforce having new negotiation mechanisms and new working time. Uh, working working hours in their, in their contracts, a huge change of the conversation around working hours in Iceland. That happened over five years. We're seeing budgets of, of 10 million euros in Spain for, for, for private sector trials coming from the EU. We're seeing uh, the Scottish government committing 10 million pounds to investigating private sector, uh, private sector pilots uh, as well. Um, and of course, you know, as Francis mentioned, there are trials also planned in the US, Australia and Ireland. So suddenly, I think it's partly because of the COVID um, the COVID pandemic has really accelerated the conversation about how we work, where we work, when we work. The, the four-day week, the interest in the four-day weeks really, really cascaded and, and, and blown up, really. Um, the trial has been run by four-day week global, four-day week campaign, um, the UK campaign, ourselves, and the research has also been carried out by academics in Cambridge and Boston College as well, Juliet Shaw, who's been working on this for decades. So it's a really nice kind of team that are going to be working on this, um, and a nice cohort of companies from... Um, video game uh, companies to a uh, to pressure drop the brewery uh, to uh, a ship and ship a fish and ship shop uh, all sorts of different um, kind of types of work and that's what Francis was saying that's really interesting for the data and the research to understand how it might work in different workplaces and I think I, w- I, w- I won't spend too long I know we have I want to hear from the others as well but I think we should note that this is this is just part of a multi-pronged strategy for how to bring about the four-day week so we shouldn't we shouldn't take the trials to be the only, you know, the only or even the sole way, you know, running trials is really important to get that evidence base, get those different sectors and companies um, thinking about how to, uh, you know, work, you know, work more efficiently, but also, you know, give back to their employees. But of course, you know, the other, other stakeholders and actors need to be involved here. We need politicians, we need trade unions, um, we need, as well as these early adopting firms. I think it's really important to champion the pioneers of this um, and also the campaign group. So I think, I, I see the trials as a as a really important part of a, a multi-pronged strategy for how to bring about better working hours for um, standardly employed people um, in the UK workforce. And that's why it's really exciting. But also we should know that it needs to be accompanied by other actions. And I'm sure we're going to hear from Kate in a bit about why trade unions are important in this. Finally, I would say also just a caveat here is that with the trials obviously won't be able to cover all of the UK uh, economy, all the UK sectors. And so... You know, we're encouraging more and more. I'm really excited to see the breadth of firms in this in this trial. Um, but also we do need to figure out how things work in different sectors. Maybe we can come on to that later. Maybe there'll be a question in the chat. I'm sure there always is about some sectors that would be tough to do a four-day week. Uh, and so we can talk about that. But I should I'm just noting some of the some of the caveats before we get into the discussion. So I hope we can have a really good discussion about this. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Will. Um, I'm gonna come straight to Sam and Paul. Um, I'm gonna ask both of you to say a little bit about the company, the organization you work for, and also to just say what main motivations uh, kind of drove you to sign up to this trial? What, what kind of captured your attention and how, and how did that come about? Let's start with you, Sam, and, and then come on to Paul. Sure, well, you know, we're a small brewery in London. Uh, we're a simple business. We make, package and sell beer. We're pretty small. There's only 10, sorry, nine full-time employees. We also have some bar staff. In terms of what's motivated us, just at the very most obvious immediate level, we want to do something that improves our own lives and improves the lives of our employees in a way that we think will have no cost to us. 
Uh, so it's a case of, well, why, why not try this? The company level, we, we are not enormously ambitious in terms of growth and expansion, as many companies are, particularly in our industry, but we do want to develop and try new things. We want to be part of progressive change in the world. I think that's something that motivates all of us, uh, you know, who founded the business as three of us. And just on a personal level, I, I guess I came out of a frustration with the political system and the inability to address major problems of our time, um, wanting to do something positive in an area that I had some control over. Uh, again, that applies not just to me, but to, to all of my colleagues. Uh, and uh, as has been mentioned, the pandemic kind of brought all of this up and uh, feels like it's enabled us to uh, start think differently and, and participate in something. So when we saw that the trial was happening, we uh, uh, were keen to sign up for it. That's great. And, uh, and you, Paul, what, what do literal humans do? Uh, and, and what are your main motivations for being part of this? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, we are a uh, small uh, digital marketing agency that's been trading for about two years now. And um, we work on, you know, growth strategy, content marketing, a bit of, uh, you know, so social media marketing as well for various clients. We specialize in tech for good. So ed tech, health tech. We also work with charities and nonprofits. It, I mean, similar to Sam on multiple levels, um, you know, it, it's really helped us attract uh, great talent um, since we started advertising. I just got finished doing two dozen uh, interviews for a new full-time designer and almost every single person mentioned it as a massive job perk. And even to the point where they said, I I'd take less pay to work four days a week. And I kind of said, wait, wait, that's not the point of the, <laughs> of the trial. Um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, as you can probably hear from my accent, I come from a place where we're just completely overworked and frankly underpaid and we barely have holidays. I'm not going to mention it. It's a totally overexposed place, but it's not Canada. But, um, but yeah, I mean, just for me, that was a big motivation to come to Europe in general, to have better work-life balance. And then as soon as I saw the trial, I started um, you know, reading some of the research that that Will and, and his team and, and other teams have have done on the world and really got into it and saw that it could, you know, leverage huge benefits for our business, uh, for the environment, uh, for retention. Um, and also, I think there's a huge equity piece here, you know, so I, I think for gender equality, uh, racial and ethnic equality, uh, we have folks on our team who, you know, they take their salary and they help their families and they, you know, spend time caring for loved ones on that Friday that they have off or they spend their weekends doing that. So if we can give them more more time and attention to care for their families and support each other. I think that's that's a huge win. Amazing. So we've heard already a plethora of reasons why people might do this. But Kate, what is your interest um, from TUC's perspective in this in this pilot? And maybe say a little bit about at the start of this, what were your kind of initial thoughts about what are the main opportunities, but also challenges might be also just in terms of adaptation from where we are now. Thanks, Francis. Um Thanks for having me and like massive congratulations to everyone involved in this pilot. It's really, really exciting. Um, so the TC Weather Trade Union Movement, for anyone who doesn't know us, we represent 48 member unions and about 6 million people in the UK. Um, and since we were founded about 150 four years ago now, um, trade unions have always fought for more time off for workers as part of a general better deal. So that started off with fights for limits on the amount of time working kind of in the industrial revolution, um, limits on the working day, um, went on to fighting for the weekend, you know, a six day week used to be really, really normal. And if you read some of the kind of 
old debates, particularly debates kind of around mining, debates in the kind of 40s about how if we worked a six day week or a five day week rather in the mines, we couldn't possibly keep our productivity up. And that, you know, that was a massive challenge. Um, trade unions fought for paid holidays, basically. Um, and so this kind of battle about working time has always been something we've been really interested in. And we kind of put it at the front and centre, that question about working time um, when we had our 150th Congress back in 2018, where we said um, we think a four day week is possible for everybody and um, with no loss of pay. And um, we said in the 21st century, we're going quicker than we expected in these trials. And that is brilliant. Um, and yeah, really, really great to see kind of that debate. I suppose a few things we kind of think about when we think about this debate. Um, one is to be really clear that it is about no loss of pay. And that's why, you know, that detail of the trial is so important and I think when we started talking about this it was at the point which now feels like a really long time ago but we were hearing lots about you know robots are going to come and take all our jobs there's not going to be any work left in the future um, and we were a bit skeptical about that narrative but we were saying technology is making us richer and how are we sharing those gains and that is about higher pay and you'll see unions talking about that a lot right now in the middle of a cost of living crisis but it also could be about working time as well. I think when we think about this, there's a few things that are really important to us. Um, one is that it's negotiated with people, basically, so that that's how the trade union movement works. You know, we're democratic, but it's about thinking what type of shorter time actually works for people. How is it possible in different industries? How can that actually be achieved? A second thing to think about is how do we make sure that this is a vitally important part of um, debates about the future of work but it's not the only part basically so we're still talking about better pay we're still talking about more hours security for many people we've got 3.6 million people who are in some form of insecure work so they might not know when their next shift is coming from they might not know if they're going to get sick pay um, i'm sure that's not the case for the companies um, that you know are representative in this trial and who are really at the kind of forefront of good working practice but for many people it's not just about the amount of working time they're putting but the stability of that working time too and many people actually want more hours not less because otherwise they can't afford to pay their bills but yeah I think this pilot is really exciting I think it's showing that we can have different ways of working I think it's showing ways we can pioneer that and really it's our job as a trade union movement to take those pioneers and think about how we can negotiate that in more workplaces. I wanted to come back to, to Sam and Paul on this question of maybe a little bit better around practicalities of how this is going to be working because um I know a lot of us have been thinking a lot more about this in the pandemic of where we work and what times we work and questions around people's daily routines and that, that kind of question. And I wanted to ask each of you, you, you have very different companies in lots of respects, but both involved in the same trial. How does this actually work on a practical day-to-day -day basis? Do, do people take the same day off each week? Do people shift their days off? Do they compress their hours? Is it a kind of a day just in terms of literal time or is it a literal day that people take off a week? Um, let's come to you first, Paul, and, and then we'll come back to Sam to answer that as well. Yeah, thanks, Francis. Um, yeah, for us, um, you know, we, we push for Fridays to be be the day. Um, I was actually Googling around today and trying to figure out how to turn off Slack on Fridays. I don't, I don't think there's a way to do it, by the way. But um, yeah, so Fridays are a day. Um, it's tricky. There's a lot of inertia. I can already feel the team, you know, pushing later, slightly later hours on, on you know, Monday through Thursday. Um, I just very reluctantly told a client I would take a call on a Friday, which I'm already a bit mad at myself about, but here we are. Um, you know, yeah, no reduction in pay. Again, we're advertising it as part of, um, you know, our, our benefits package as well and, and getting a lot of good traction with that. Um, I, you know, it, it's early days. I have seen team members like just think a lot more about their productivity and 
you know, what they can, what they can put out in those first, those four days of the week now. Um, so that, I think that's been healthy to some extent. I think we need to have more conversation as a team about how we structure it and collaborate and what we really mean by the, the four day work week. Um, so we're hoping we get some of that from the trial itself, but um, you know, so far so good. Yeah, brilliant. And how about you, Sam? Obviously, the, the process of making beer is also a, a very different process. And doesn't it require staff to be on site for those times as well? Has you, have you had any issues it, with that in terms of scheduling? It does. I mean, just shutting down for one day doesn't work for us. We're a production environment. We're also customer facing sales. We're basically a seven day a week operation in terms of, you know, we have yeast in tanks. So that doesn't, you know, beers fermenting in tanks that need to be checked on and so on. So we have people coming in weekends. We have bars open at the weekends as well. So the way that we're doing it is rotating days off, and that depends on the area of work you're in. For example, if you're, if you're in the production team, a Monday or Friday might be the quietest day. If you're in the sales team, it might be later in the week that things get quieter. So, you know, it's, it's a trial. We're, we're still experimenting with it, and that's kind of part of the, the fun of it in a way, that we're doing something new and trying to make it work, and, you know, it's a collective effort to, to make it work, and each individual person has to make it work in terms of doing their job in four days. And we also have to work, and it's a bit of a cliche, we have to work as a team as well and, uh, you know, make it work for everyone. But yeah, we're trying out different ways of, of doing that in, in practical terms. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, as you say, it's a trial, it's trial and error. We're, we're not right. quite sure how this is going to work and for each organisation it'll be different. And um, just to stay with, with with both of you participating in this trial at the moment, I suppose one one question that I've had as a firm advocate of the four-day week idea, but is one is a question that I've had since coming back to the office a bit more and working with people alongside people, and and that is a bit about the slack built into maybe a five day week around the sort of social aspect of work, and something we've missed definitely during the pandemic is, um, I wonder whether four day week, whilst it might uncover, I'm totally convinced about the productivity and you know work expands to fit the time you have to some degree, but I'm worried about that like softer, looser side of work maybe getting lost. You know, the idea that maybe. Uh, taking longer lunch breaks or, or going off with colleagues at the end of the day for a drink or something might be something people feel tentative to do if they've actually compressed all of their work into four days. I know it may be too early to say, but um, Paul, ha have you seen any impact on that in the team or is that something you're at all worried about? Uh, not quite yet, but um, I think there, there are ways to design around that. Um, you know, we, we try to build in uh, specific, you know, team lunches on Thursdays and, um, you know, fun conversational things on on. Slack to just kind of lighten up the day and, um, you know, just have a bit of a water cooler, a digital water cooler chat at the very least. Um, we make it a point to have team members who live outside of London. They'll take the train down and we have, you know, focus collaboration days and, and fun things interspersed uh, throughout that. So, um, yeah, we, we haven't seen any kind of slack on, on that stuff, but I think it is a really important thing to flag. And, and the thing I worry about, too, is, is, you know, people are talking about the end of sick days or, or you know, people having reluctance to take sick days. and you see that a little bit in places where, um, you know, people have quote unquote unlimited PTO where they actually have shown, you know, the data has shown that certain folks in particular women have, have taken less, you know, and, and, and what that's done and the impact that's had on them and their families. So I think um, it's really interesting, you know, piece to monitor and, and see if, uh, you know, what the impact is here through the study. Yeah. And, and how about you, Sam? Do conversations at the end of the day sometimes feel a little bit compressed if people are feeling that they have one less day or is it something that you... Not so far. Around? I mean, you know, we work in a brewery, right? So people will have a beer at the end of the day often and that's something that's naturally going to be there. I'm not really concerned about that from our point of view. I mean, I understand the point in, in general. I think it applies to homeworking as well as, you know, I think you hinted at that in asking the question. Um, that, that those things go away a little bit and 
yes, you know, going back to the motivation point, I've worked in environments where I felt like there was a lot of unnecessary work done. And part of the motivation for setting up the brewery is wanting to do something constructive that actually made something that was worthwhile. Uh, but I've worked in a lot of office environments where I felt like, you know, there's lots of unnecessary work. There was lots of that kind of chat. I don't really re regret those times because I, I made good friends and had lots of those kind of water cooler friendships. Uh, but I, I don't think that those will go away if those people are, are somewhere else doing something else that they enjoy or that, or that they think is creative and worthwhile. So it's a bit like the coffee shop argument to me in terms of, you know, well, if, if the coffee shops in the city of London have to close down because no one's commuting into the city, coffee shops will open up somewhere else uh, where those people live. Uh, so so it's a, I don't think that socialising will disappear if people change their way of working. Yeah, and as we saw with the pandemic, people came up with quite, right. in, you know, in, in inventive ways of, of finding ways of still connecting, and I think that was really nice. Yeah, and they, they learned to appreciate it as well. Absolutely. Will, I wanted to ask you about about this question as well. What do you do? You get that workers might be sensing this, or something that they might be concerned about if things being too rigid or compressed. I mean, I just I just wanted to give one anecdote. Is that one of our first clients? They already had, I think I, I don't know. If it's only a city thing, but basically they already had something called Thirsty Thursdays running, which is basically on Thursdays a lot of people who work in offices go out for drinks anyway. Um, and for them, the four day week meant that Thirsty Thursdays became even thirstier Thursdays, i.e. they would, you know, it, it was it was a funny that they already had an infrastructure in place for kind of socialising on Thursday nights anyway. Um, so I just wanted to add that anecdote in that when you mentioned this, like our drinks and talks after work, socialising, is, is it is it, does it kind of decrease or become, um, you know, kind of uh, to get played down because the intensity of work might have gone up, but actually for them, and we checked in afterwards, they, yeah, the Thursday Thursdays, we've we, we got a new significance because that's the end of the week. That was just that was just an, I wanted to share that anecdote because I, th I, th I think that would be the case, um, you know, across workplaces that you know whether your whether your work you're more aware of your workload and you're managing your work, um, you know, in, in a different way. Um, that having a four day week, having that that kind of that anticipation is is something which is which in all of our kind of engagement, whether it's workshops or interviews and so on, um, it's always hugely important. Like that, it's it's such a draw. You know, to have that extra day of the weekend or shorter working days. And maybe you just have more to talk about as well because you've got more of a life outside of work, which would be nice. Um, how about you, Kate? Are you, this is something that the, the TUC is presumably also monitoring quite closely given what you said about the fight for weekends and leisure time. Yeah, I think um, some of the conversation there reflects a little bit that we have to think about kind of the whole economy when we're talking about this trial. So if you work in a shop, if you drive a train, if you're a teacher, if you're a nurse, you don't have discretionary downtime in your day basically you are not losing that discretionary downtime in your day and perhaps if you work in a distribution center you know your time is monitored by a device which tells you where to walk and it tells you when you can have a break or if you're driving actually you know one of the jobs that's um increased quite a lot during the pandemic is distribution as we've all been sitting at home ordering things you know that hasn't removed labor that's just shifted it to people who are driving you know, those are jobs where you're very tightly monitored, you don't have discretionary downturn. And that's why control over your working time in a formal, agreed, controlled way where there are set working breaks, where you know your working hours, where you know what the hours you're getting paid for. And of course, we have loads of people who don't know which hours they're going to get paid for. Unpaid travel time, big issue in care work, for example, is really, really important. And I think we do need to sometimes like it's not a 
fault of anyone on this call, but this conversation get a bit kind of dominated by knowledge workers, for want of a better word. And it's great. It's fantastic that knowledge workers are getting these new rights. They deserve them too. But I think we need to think a little bit more carefully about what it means and how important that control over your time can mean in jobs where your tasks are slightly less discretionary. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that's the question I was going to come on to next, which is about, you know, obviously, um, both you, Will uh, and Kate will be bombarded with these sorts of questions about the sort of people who can't participate in this trial or something that, you know, it doesn't feel out of reach for a lot of people. And I suppose during the pandemic as well, we've been particularly um, thoughtful about those workers who can't actually take that time off, especially workers who are working in care industries or logistics or people who've also found that their time has massively increased over the, the pandemic. And it feels even the idea of a five day week feels like something like a far off dream at this point. Um, so I wanted to come to you, Will, and, and then to you, Kate, about maybe the wider implications this might have on workers. Um, and this, especially about this question about who flexibility is offered to, we've talked about, about knowledge workers, but and we can see that circle ever expanding, but at the same time, the people who push further out might feel more left out of these sorts of advantages that we're seeing um, across the board. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's I think it's it's obviously incredibly important that with this this is raised. I mean, I think I think um, a few things on this. I mean, on the one hand, you know, as I said at the start, I don't think that you change the countries or even internationally you change, you know, just as we went from the from the from the, from the seven to the six more broadly to the five hour day across national economies and internationally, and each country's got their own story about how. The weekend was was created based in the, in the UK is is really mining construction workers after World War Two that really trade unions um, really pushed for and allowed allow for that working time reduction in America you had slightly more you had working time wins here and there and in fact if you look at some of some, some really great books on this from the 19th century after the Civil War different campaigns I mean I've even read some anecdotes about how there was even Coopers basically people who make barrels Coopers in New York getting a getting a four day week back in eighteen in the eighteen seventies as in literally having three days of um, what employers call debauchery, but they would call relaxation um, in 1870. So like, there's an uneven development of how this came about, but nonetheless, you know, um, we should be clear that like effectively there's always a slight unevenness um, around how, how, things, how things come about. And that also it's, it's never just one type of uh, initiative. It's not just you know, pioneering early adopting employers who who you know care care about the staff's well being, which is something to be to be celebrated. Um, it's also about legislation. It's also about um, uh, agreements at sectoral levels, at company levels, and so on. So, I don't I don't think, from my perspective, I don't think I don't think on the one hand the argument that this is because this is only happening to uh, in, in you know seventy firms, a lot of firms, but nonetheless not you know not scaled scaled up. Just because it's not scaled up doesn't mean it should be sniffed at. Um, because the whole point here is to, is, to, is to really have these regular experiments to regularly show the data and the research which people can rely on. And in my experience, only in the past five years, we were, we were only pointing at some, there's like, there's basically a care home in Gothenburg, Sweden, that everyone was talking about, you know, and then now we have trials in multiple countries. We have the Iceland trial negotiated ultimately by trade unions and so on. So it's really important to have these precedents. So I don't think it should be sniffed at that. It's a small, a small section of the economy and, and, and often, you know, uh, desk-based work, which which does is the case. At the same time, I don't think we should put faith. Uh, literally, spending the seat the other way, just saying I don't think we should be under any illusions that things uh, that ch widespread change uh, happens only because one actor alone is is pushing it. So, 
I do think, you know, what we try and do at Autonomy is work with uh, and, and form and augment campaigns of trade unions. We work with PCS Scotland, we've worked with CWU before, we've worked with, you know, um, other trade unions as well who are, who are kind of looking for support, but also, you know, looking for collaboration. Same time, private sector, at the same time, politicians looking to champion the idea. It does need to be a group effort on this. And, I, and so I don't think, I don't, I mean, just to, I'll end on a slight devil's advocate point here is that if, you, if you're arguing that only some workers are getting shorter working weeks and that's a bad thing because others are not, then surely the same thing can be said about wages. So like some people, have, some areas of the economy have high, high wages, some have low wages. The point is everyone should be able to have decent living wage, decent living wage. And in fact, everyone should be able to bargain for um, wages that they feel are, you know, are correct for them and so on. So I, I don't think, if you take the argument to its conclusion, I don't think um, it, makes, it makes much sense, but I do think we should be aware that this, there is a particularity to this. Yeah, and to come to you, Kate, is there any questions here around to pick up Will's last point about these questions of inequality? I, I take, totally take the point that if you do it with a small number of workers and it, and it works well, then, then you might see that, that benefit uh, ripple out. But you, you might not, as, as, as we say. So it's interesting to see, to see from the perspective of the trade unions what might be done on that in order to kind of make sure that people, as many people as possible have access to these kinds of rights. Yeah, I mean, I think we definitely want to level up. And I, you know, experimentation is good. Um, and, you know, but we do care about pay inequality, basically. And one of the things that I think maybe I haven't thought about enough is it's just making me think this is a really random thought. So I don't know where I'm going with it, but I'm just going to express it in the spirit of conversation. So lots of debates about kind of working time started off with debates about care work and in feminism, basically. And we have seen, you know, sometimes the results of some of those feminist debates has been that middle class women have moved into jobs and working class women have taken on care work in kind of low paid, often racialized, gendered, low paid jobs. So I think there's a kind of, I don't think this is what this pilot is about. I don't think this is where we're going. But a thing we would be worried about was, you know, there's some people who work three hours a week and are paid very handsomely. And then there are other people who pick up the slack. Now, that's not what we're talking about. And it's a bit kind of lump of labour fallacy, basically. But I do think we should care about inequality in working time and conditions and about whose time we're talking about. And obviously, that's kind of what trade unions are there for. Um, I guess the more kind of positive thing I was going to say was, and again, it, I suppose comes from the experience of thinking about women's work is we have lots and lots of people who work part-time so when we think about kind of different ways of organizing the working week we can think everyone works four days a week or we might think okay we definitely know that in this hospital to take a really hackneyed example we need to cover all five days but it means that the standard working week for which you earn x amount is going to be two and a half days not you know between two people and I think one of the things that's so great about this pilot is it really pushes us to think about reconceptualizing work and Francis you mentioned that a bit about the pandemic of course we've seen you know loads of people working remotely in jobs which were previously told no you absolutely must come into the office or wherever it is or the call center to do this you know we have been able to free that up um, I guess the other thing we learned in the pandemic was that every so often government can subsidize people to um, work less like we had a massive furlough scheme paying people 80% of their wages in many cases to keep them in work. And again, we saw that kind of state intervention can change the dimensions of working time. And I think, you know, one of the great things about this pilot is it's again spurring us into kind of more creativity about what can we actually achieve but I do think we should care about achieving that for everybody yeah absolutely and I think that it's I think the idea of a four-day week throws up a lot of these conceptual questions because as as we all know work isn't 
it, it is something that we as a society have to find our own relationship to and also giving agency to more workers and more organizations to not just stick to this type model which as we know from even people on the call like Sam people don't actually work these five days in a rigid way anyway so it's a kind of it, we know that that's not actually the reality and so can people think about that more flexibly in a way that actually benefits employee well-being and also wider society as, as Paul mentioned. I've got a couple more questions and then I'm going to move over to the Q&A so I can see we've got some great questions loading up in, in there as well. So to come to you first Sam and, and then to you Paul I have a question about about customers on, on this side of things. So um, I'm interested in sort of the ripple out effects because both of you have clients and um, people you're trying to, to serve and, and, and get your products of various kinds to. And what implications do you think this has for maybe customers' expectations? So obviously, both of you and your teams will be kind of managing those expectations of clients, given that you're working for four day week. And you've already mentioned, Paul, the temptation to just say to somebody, yes, I'll jump on a call on my day off. And we all know that, I think, very well. But have you had any kickback or have you had any sort of intrigue or um, also you know, relate to that question, do you think customers will have to, if this uh, model were adopted more widely, adjust their own expectations that maybe people are not always on hand uh, and that those boundaries have to be reset, which is something that's quite hard for some sectors where the idea of 24-hour seven service has become quite the norm. Come to you first, Sam, and, and then to you, Paul. Yes, I think, well, obviously we, we have customers and, you know, we try to treat them nicely and, uh, all that stuff, uh, the reactions we've had so far from them have been overwhelmingly positive. I should caveat that with, you know, we're a kind of small niche industry, really, craft brewing, and it's pretty friendly overall. It's pretty, uh, dare I say, progressively minded overall. Customers, the end customers, we have quite a lot of contact with uh, through social media or through direct orders and things like that. You know, they're overwhelmingly positive about it. Uh, and I think they're keen to us succeed i think we we're, we're kind of uh product you know we're quality focused but product focused rather than service focused if that makes sense so we you know we try to make the product as, as high quality as we can and then people uh, come to us for it without us having to kind of market it too heavily or things like that i think from our customers point of view if, if the quality is there and that's what they're concerned about um you know so uh, and I can I can see that for other sectors that might be a, a different issue. You know what what we want to do because we, we are a production company and we make a physical product. You know, we we stand out a little bit in the trial. We want to demonstrate that you know we have challenges that others don't. If we can make a success of it, then then others can too. I mean I take all all of the points that Kate's made and they're, they're very interesting to listen to. Uh, but you know we hope that we we can uh, demonstrate something that will force a cultural change that will benefit others uh further down the line sorry i've digressed a bit from your question but no i think I, that's dead right i think that, that the customer response has been has been positive and we we think we can manage it uh in a good way and i think that's 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 what's interesting for people is seeing all sorts of businesses part of this because obviously the first line of attack will be well it works for x but it doesn't work for y but actually this trial is doing an amazing right. job on the part of the, of the people running right. it as well to you will and everybody to get, to get so many and the participants are signing up to saying okay we're going to be this trail baker in our in our industry i think that's a brilliant part of this um and to come to you paul you, you are going to take that call on Friday, but how do you find it's going to be affecting your relationship with clients? Or do you think actually they're just excited and intrigued to hear that you're participating in this? Yeah, mixed mix bag. We haven't rolled it out to all of our clients. So we've rolled it out to a few um, just because we're, we're getting into it in, in the month of June here. Um, yeah, initially, I think 
generally positive response, a few like furrowed brows in terms of like, how's this going to work, especially, you know, taking Sam's point about we're in the service industry and, and particularly in the agency world, clients expect you to kind of be at their beck and call. And but we, we really, as an agency, try to um, build, you know, some, some healthy boundaries around our practice as, as you know, your partners in, in growth and your partners in, in marketing, not, you know, something you can just shoot a request to at, you know, 7 p.m. on a Thursday and expecting it to be delivered on Friday, for example. Um, so, yeah, and I think um, also to Sam's point, like we, we, we are focused on delivering a product to some extent. Sometimes that's a blog, sometimes that's a social creative. And um, I think clients are intrigued about how that's going to happen within the context of a four-day work week, and they expect quality not to wane in, in any way. So that's something we, we try to reassure them of. And um, we're still experimenting from client to client exactly how we roll it, roll it out and how it's going to affect each um, unique engagement. And I think a lot of it's about messaging as well and saying, look, this is going to deliver to you healthier, you know, more balanced designers and writers and strategists. And, you know, they're, they're just going to be more well-rounded folks if we give them, you know, another day in their week for themselves. Um, and I think a lot of clients can get on board with that. But um, yeah, we'll see as we roll it out. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, especially when, in theory, sometimes clients are, are pro it and then, and then let's see if they help over respect boundaries. But as you say, I think the experience of the pandemic has also opened people up to that idea that people have a lot going on in their lives, all of us do. Um, and actually, you know, creating some space for that is something that everybody wants to participate in and maybe they'll accept some sacrifices on, uh, you know, on their part as well. Hello, this is Gabriel from the Compass Office, interrupting for a moment. I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. It's Bloody Complicated is brought to you by Compass and is made possible by the support of our amazing members, like Eliza. Here's Eliza on why she joined the Compass community. My name is Eliza. I've been a Compass member for about three or four years, I think. What drew me to Compass was the fact that it's cross-party and it's also not a party. I had a light bulb moment about elections, which was no one's going to win except the Tories under this system. and We have to work together. Having been previously a member of the Labour Party and then joining the Green Party, I really wanted to see parties working together and we have people that are politicians, MPs, trade union leaders, etc. And it's quite level. There's no big hierarchy. It's quite an honest, open space where people come together. You will hear from people from all around the political spectrum actually debating the hard stuff. It's actually, let's find a solution to the problems that we have and let's do it together. We need this progressive alliance. And I would like to see people who are passionate about getting the Tories out in the next election and getting proportional representation in. Come and join Compass now and actually swell the movement because without people, there's no power. And that's what we need right now. Find out more about joining the Compass community at compassonline.org.uk forward slash podcast. And now back to the conversation. So we have some great questions uh, loaded up in the Q&A function. Um, Samuel, do you want to bring in our first uh, round of questions? Maybe we can just take uh, the four of them that are in the in the chat right now. Sure. Um, we have, yeah, we do have uh, uh, four questions. We have uh, one that I will say uh, for for the for the panel. Uh, we have one question from Sarah and another from Andrea. I'm going to bring them in very shortly. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll ask the, the one question first. How do we make it possible to keep our productivity? Do people do more hours per day? But I guess that is not the point. So how do we squeeze in all the work? Uh, Sarah, I'm going to bring you in uh, now. Uh, if you're able to raise your question, that'd be great. Hi there. Well, since I posted the question, the discussion has made me realise it was rather a naive question. So it's it's slightly more nuanced now. My question has changed to depending on the, the, the type of industry that you are, 
how are you actually going to measure the impact? I mean, presumably as a pilot, you have to kind of demonstrate that it's working. So um, it could depend on whether you're measuring hours or outcomes or whatever. So how, how are you actually going to measure the impact of introducing the four day week? Sorry, it's a bit different from the question that's posted. No, that, that's a brilliant question. And actually, it was on my list. And I didn't get around to asking it. So thank you very much for, for asking such a good, a good question. Um, Samuel, should we take the other two and then we'll come back to the panel and they can pick up anyone sure. they want to answer. Andre, you're in the um, you're in the room. If you're able to to speak your question, that'd be great as well, please. Actually, I think I'm also mine is probably going to have to change based on what I've heard. Um, but I'm interested to know whether from the experience of the pilots so far, the people who've got caring responsibilities, whether that's for kids or anybody else, have found this easier, harder, no different um, to the situation that they're in right now. And just to sort of say why I'm asking the question, because we know there's a big change in people looking for more flexible ways of working. But it's actually quite hard then to marry that up with your the more fixed caring arrangements that are out there. So you end up with somebody working flexibly, facing the brick wall of a service system that's pretty hard. And I just wondered whether you've got any experiences that you could share. Yeah, and that question about the knock-on effect, if uh, if the rest of the society and economy doesn't change, how do people work their way around that? I think that's a great question. And let's take um, Colin as well, Samuel, for the... the uh, we, we actually do have Phil. Phil's in the... Uh, the oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Phil. But Phil, if you would like to come in. That'd be great. Hi, everybody. Yes. Um, thanks for an interesting discussion so far. Um, I was just wondering how might the extra time off impact the leisure industries and their workers? Brilliant. All right. Thanks, Phil. That's that's a really useful point of also contrast to some of the things we've been talking about. So let's take those uh, for now and then we might be able to come back around for a second round. I'm going to come to uh, you, Paul, first and then we'll go uh, Kate, Will and Sam and feel free to pick up any questions that were asked in that round. Yeah, just uh, happy to uh, take the productivity question first. I, I think, yeah, you know, to, to the point of, of the reframe of the question, I think we're trying to revise how we're thinking about productivity and it's an opportunity to kind of engage in that conversation a bit differently so you know what what does uh what do your outputs look like in a four-day work week what does it mean to deliver great client service in a four-day work week um balance against maybe your caring responsibilities and your other um individual considerations so i think that's like a really interesting catalyst for that conversation to the question about care similar thing i think it's a really important opportunity to actually broaden the conversation about like what care means so, you know, I'm a care to some extent for an elderly father who lives overseas in the States, but that's very different from someone who is providing hour to hour day to day care for someone who lives in their home, for example. But I can still leverage a four day work week to maybe take a trip home to the States and, and you know, have more time with my father, you know, than I would have had in a, in a five day work week context. Um, so we're engaging some, some really interesting conversations across our team about broadening, broadening the conversation about caring. And I think that's really important. Um, and, and it's just something that um, I'm really grateful to the study for. And then in terms of measurement, um, we're going to leverage both the study itself um, to measure and use the surveys and what they're um, seeing from that, but also just have conversations with these small L, small H, literal humans on our team um, to just like have, you know, have a sense check on a quarterly basis on how is this working for you? Um, what's working? What's not working? Do we need to move from Fridays? Maybe do we need to give you an option of an open day, a floating day, for example? How does this align with religious holidays? You know, I think it's another interesting question, for example. Um, so I think just using it as a catalyst to 
deepen discussions with your team and broaden them is, is kind of how we're leveraging the pilot. Yeah, and I suppose it's a nice opportunity for you to get to know your team a bit more, have these conversations. I mean, especially given the title of your organization, it's great that that that's actually something that we're bringing it right to the fore, right? Kate, any of those questions that you wanted to pick up? And- yeah, just a few. Um, just to be really clear about what I was saying earlier, it's like not massively not a critique of any companies which are taking part in the um, trial. I think it's absolutely brilliant that we have got these kind of people pioneering it it's just thinking about what do we do next basically which is I guess our job um just on the kind of broader questions um I guess on kind of productivity it can't go worse than it's going right now right so the UK has had a decade of flatlining productivity and sometimes this is kind of described as a puzzle but it's not that puzzling when you suck demand out of the economy through a decade of austerity you create a climate of massive political uncertainty um, you cut further education funding by 40 percent and you repeatedly attack workers rights but I really feel like we've got to have a bit more kind of a I don't want to say a kind of grown-up discussion about productivity because that feels really patronizing but you know you constantly read this stuff which say but oh but what about productivity and everything we've been trying for the last decade has clearly not been working and I think actually giving people a bit more autonomy voice and time in the workplace is probably one of the best things we can do so I think there's kind of two-way discussion about productivity here I think the four-day week could boost it as well as be one of the benefits from raising productivity one of the ways it's shared and we should be sort of confident about saying that someone raised an issue about um, issues for people with caring responsibilities which they Paul was just talking about as well and um, I think that is one of the reasons why it's so important to do this kind of thing in consultation with workers not do it to them basically Um, and also to just come back to um, the issue of predictable work as well as shorter work being massively important because that's what enables you to you know arrange your responsibilities it's all very well saying you only have to be in two days a week but if you never know which those two days are going to be you're going to be in trouble and then just lastly really interesting question about like what's the impact on kind of um leisure services um obviously this is something we kind of face all the time basically you know the tc has a call for extra bank holidays um uh that's always for those extra bank holidays to actually be reflected in your annual leave entitlement because otherwise you're just having bank holidays for some of us and you know extra extra work for those who work in pubs um, possibly in breweries as well in garden centres at leisure attractions and I do think we've got to think about again why you know sometimes we talk about you know a three-day weekend many many people work in the weekend now and it's got to be again something done in consultation with those workers so it's shorter working time for everybody. Yeah absolutely Um, and coming to you Will what are the questions you want to pick up? from what was asked yeah okay I, I won't pick up the leisure industry one because i think kate answered it uh exactly well, basically pretty much what i would say so i think um the question about care i think just just to be clear the, the pilot has only been going for you know barely two weeks so so we, we we will be there's lots of engagement with staff and managers at certain levels as well so so we'll hopefully be kind of capturing some of that experience about what really changed during this this six months um, how's it evaluated? Well, it's evaluated as as we do with with all of our um, our work in this area. It's basically each organisation and company is different. I'm I'm amazed at how many journalists don't really get this. Um, that someone who who makes video games uh, has different KPIs and targets and performance indicators th- than someone who you know pressure drop brewery. Different to someone who's a telecommunications company. Someone who's you know so so each of these organisations will have different judges and baseline data about what performance is and what we know what productivity is some don't even use that that term you know you see what i'm saying so you have to kind of take each case um based on you know how it already 
reevaluate um, performance and then but those will be studied so 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 the data will be coming will, will be uh, part of this uh, trial basically um yeah so evaluate that data will be part of this trial so so it's it's important that it's we make sure that the, the metrics make sense um but that, that that we do gather it so that's that's that and we'll obviously be publishing a report autonomy will be publishing a report on this um and i think the other question about hours versus output i mean this is really one of the questions that organizations are facing um and it's something which we believe in is that ultimately yeah there's a lot there's a, there's a lot of dogma around the sheer amount of hours you put in equals productivity and we know that's not the case in a whole range of different kinds of work and so the idea is uh, about uh, maintaining output uh, but also not necessarily maintaining those hours we're reducing those hours so that's that's the uh, the premise of this um you know and testing that relationship is really what this fully uh, trial is going to be so that's that's that brilliant thank you uh, and to you sam what questions do you want to bring up from from the participants well just to quickly answer the productivity question best i can you know we have our own metrics we're measuring productivity we're constrained by our capital equipment about how much we can produce we basically measure production we measure sales we obviously have different avenues of sales but uh that's pretty much it so we're going to carry on doing that and if we can do the same that we did last year in the same time period it's a little bit seasonal our industry as well uh then, then we'll have succeeded by that measure. Can I just uh, say something about the parenting care question? Because I think it's a really important point and a really, uh, you know, I don't have anything to report back because we've been in the trial for two weeks and my, my kids are teenagers now. They pretty much take care of themselves for better or worse. Uh, but, uh, you know, we have younger staff who, you know, may be parents in the future. For me, this is a huge, uh, you know, going back to the knock-on effect question. So a huge potential knock-on effect is parenting benefits. I feel like parenting has been getting better in lots of ways over the last few decades, despite uh, political attacks. But in terms of time, time that people are actually able to spend with their children, it's been getting worse in our country and in the United States, for example, we're light years behind countries like Norway in that respect. So it's my hope that that will be one of the knock-on effects that has in turn knock-on effects because I strongly believe that improved parenting and parenting time in return creates other progressive changes as people have better parenting and become more empathetic themselves. I think that's a brilliant point. And I think that's why everybody raises this question of care. And as Paul said earlier, this question of different kinds of care, like when people are able to take those caring roles, they don't, you know, they change as humans themselves, but also it has wider political impacts for the kind of the next generation and how yeah. we look after our elderly and how we look at people with additional needs. You know, all of this are questions that are, you know, vexing for policymakers, but some something as as big as shifting to a four day week might have those knock on effects that they want to see. So that's, I suppose, the idea of it. So I think we've got a, a final round of two questions. Is that right, Sammy? We've got Ken and Colin. You've got some great questions coming up. So, Colin, let's take you first. Hi, everyone. Uh, my question was uh, really about what's the biggest company or organisation involved in the project? You know, numbers and what what do they do? And also, is there any well-known big companies or organisations who are thinking about trying the four-day week? Yeah, great question. So I think that's that's one squarely thought for Will that will come to that text in a second. And Ken, what what's your final your your question? Well, the there's been a lot of talk about uh, uh, consulting with the workers and consulting with employers, and quite right. And that's the way the thing's going to get momentum. But what uh, contribution or support uh, do the panelists envisage that politicians could provide 
That's a great question. Thank you, Ken. So let's come to you first, Will, to ask the, the answer maybe Colin's question, and I'm also come to the rest of the panel to ask that question about different kinds of support for this. Uh, thank you. Thanks for the question. Yeah. So, so without naming names, we have we have um, a, a couple of organisations with over 100 employees um, working for them, um, and uh, so that's that's obviously very different to a small, you know, five person team. So, um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but we have, we have, yeah, large telecommunications companies. I think that actually, yeah, those names are already in the media. You can, you can find that out, but um, yeah, well over a hundred employees. Brilliant. And maybe let's come uh, go Kate, Sam, Paul, uh, to any, to the questions about maybe political sport and also this question about wider sport. I mean, people on the call might be thinking, this is brilliant. How do I get my organization to move to a holiday week or how do I support this trial or what? Can, how can I write to my MAMP? There's lots of different kinds of support. And to Ken's question about how do we, you know, put this in front of politicians and make them listen. We'll come to you, Kate, and then to Sam and Paul. Okay, well, I'm going to give some really boring answers, but they're because what I think. Um, basically, if you want your organisation to take part in it, join your trade union, negotiate it through collective bargaining. Um, and if you, you know, the best thing politicians could do is give unions greater powers, basically. At the moment, unions in the UK don't have um, the power to enter a workplace to tell people about the benefits of joining a trade union. That's something that's really common across the rest of the world. They don't have very strong bargaining rights. They don't have rights to bargain across the whole sector, for example, where you could get some really big changes and where you've seen in Germany, for example, the IG Metall, um, big negotiations, those are sector wide. And that's when you get start to see big, big change on top of the amazing progress that's already being made in companies here. So I'd say stronger rights for workers to negotiate for themselves is the most important change we could see. Brilliant. And how about you, Sam? How do you think people can support this? Uh, well, to, to answer the question about politicians, I, I think I said in, in the intro that, you know, it came partly with, from frustration with politicians from my point of view. I think that politicians have to be forced into progressive change. And that's what we're trying to do here, essentially. Um, you know, there's lots of examples of that where if overwhelming portion of the public support something then politicians follow so and, and this is an example of something that politicians have proposed but it kind of gets laughed out uh, as something ludicrously implausible so we we can support this by doing it uh, and people out outside of the trial uh, hadn't really thought of that about that to be honest i, I, I guess i'd prefer to kate on that one i think her comments are really correct yeah, and forcing this idea of progressive change through demonstration rather than just petitioning, I think, is a really amazing way of uh, of going about it. And how about you, Paul? Um, how do you want to take those those two questions? Yes, yeah, I squarely agree with uh, some of the points that Kate made and, and Sam's follow up there. I think um, you know the point about demonstration is a good one. I think beyond demonstration, we need a bit more imagination and and sort of uh, creation and and. You know, I think the best way we can move towards a better world is to actually just like create it. And I think that's what's so powerful about the four day work week is that, you know, it, it's showing that some of the answers are actually to Kate's earlier point, like quite simple, like what should politicians be doing? Listening to people, you know, what helps us solve things like inequality and poverty, give people more money, universal, universal basic income, what helps people have, you know, more time and, and mental health and, you know, quality time with their families, give them more time, you know, and I think sometimes we, we get into these loops. Um, of overcomplicating things and it's a little bit of political sleight of hand because people you know the powers that be don't actually want you know uh people to have more more time or more money and things like that and that's not sort of conspiracy theory but it's it, you see it playing out in the real world today where 
you know, rich business owners are talking to rich real estate, you know, you know, developers who want to push people back into the office because, you know, there's, there's money to be made and, and things like that. So I think those are things we need to look at and say, all right, there actually are some simple, clear solutions. And that if we just imagine and demonstrate a bit more in terms of, you know, rolling out those solutions, then we can actually prove, which is the brilliant thing about the study that some of these, some of these things work. And if you ask the average person on the street, like, yeah, I want Fridays off, you know, and as, and as a boss, you know, people coming to me sometimes, quote unquote boss, and they say, hey, I want to go home to take care of my kid. And it gives me the ick factor. I'm like, absolutely. I don't want to be put in a position where I'm having you to, you know, decide between your paycheck and your child. That's that's ludicrous. So I think, you know, listen to workers, give people more time, give people more money and, and you know, just imagine your future by creating it. A hundred percent. I couldn't have like I wanted to end on a better note, Paul. Thank you so much for that. And I think this question of imagination is something that you guys are making space for. So I, I wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you on the call tonight for, for kind of lifting this up. It's really amazing to have people actually participate in something live that's ongoing. And I know a lot of these questions we'll want to ask again in six months and maybe well, cheekily getting this in while you're all live on the call. Maybe we'll have you back to talk about, you know, what what met your expectations, what changed, what was different, you know, what were you not not expecting to happen. But um, I just want to say a huge, huge thanks to my four panelists here tonight, to Sam, to Paul, to Kate, and to Will. I know that uh, Kate has uh, and Paul and Will have a very hard stop at seven, so do feel free to jump off the call. But I wanted to say a huge thanks to everybody on the call tonight for asking your great questions. Um, just to remind you, this is a, a Compass Live a members podcast. We're supported by members. So um, please feel free to, to tell people about Compass and uh, to promote our office of membership and coming live on this call. And next time, it's Buddy Complicated. We're sticking with a very exciting theme of trials. And I'm very glad that Paul at the end mentioned the idea of basic income there. At the end, we have a whole basic income project, which is advocating for universal basic income. And on the 28th of June, Tuesday the 28th, We'll be continuing the theme of pile, uh, pilots and the future of work and pay by discussing the Welsh basic income pilot, which is happening at the moment amongst care leavers in Wales. So a, a whole month of pilots and uh, innovative uh, discussions and ideas uh, on the podcast uh, here for you guys. So a huge thank you to, to all of you guys, to all of you on the call. And um, we'll be back in touch, Sam and Paul, at the end of the trial. <laughs> to ask you guys about how it's gone and good luck with it. Please enjoy your day off. Uh, I hope you use it for uh, imaginative things and caregiving responsibilities and a lot of fun as well. So it improves your quality of life. Uh, thanks everybody and um, enjoy the rest of your evening. And good night. If you like what you heard today and want to be part of building a much more equal, democratic and sustainable future, then visit us at compassonline.org.uk slash podcast. Plus, you'll be able to join us live on future calls like this one. You can tweet Compass Office or email francis at compassonline.org.uk. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please give us a rating. It will help us reach more listeners in the future. After all, it's only fair they know it's bloody complicated too.